Testing, testing, testing. Hello, 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 hello. That one won it. I'm speaking to yours, won't it? Hello, hello, hello. Alright, cool. I did you start recording again? Hello and welcome to the Mad Truth Podcast with myself, Casey Scavington. My guest today is a man who is a student, an actor, voice of his generation, young Bruce Springsteen lookalike, Mr. Ruben Glatz. How you doing, man? I'm good, thank you. I'm very flattered by that, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Do you feel like... Yeah, I feel like the boss. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so first, I hope. we should always we should also preface that uh, I am losing my voice, which is a quality thing to happen if uh, you want to record for an hour. Um, yeah. So we have got some water in hand though. Yeah, water which is always hand. important. Drink more water, or you might die. So Good piece the of last there. time we saw each other, we were working on. A, uh, a little motion picture called Look Up which by the way people if you haven't seen yet is a work of staggering genius so uh, I've heard some people say it's a in the great yeah scene. yeah it is, uh, it is a masterpiece of mm. modern cinema that isn't actually in the cinema and is on YouTube mm. um, it's, it's a new cinema isn't it YouTube so how you been since, since then like, uh, I've not been bad to be honest yeah. yeah it's been like a year now so um, happy anniversary, Ruben. Yeah, yeah, you too. Um, but yeah, you know, just year thirteen, <laughs> A yeah. levels. And you stuff. enjoying that? Um, no, no. <laughs> not no. as much as year twelve. Got to be honest. Yeah, well, I suppose A levels and uh, kind of the responsibilities of uh, being told that there is only one way that you can be successful mm. in life. Well, yeah, and, and not wanting lines. to screw it up. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And uh, got some exams coming up, some mock exams. So lo- mm. obviously looking forward to that. The point of a mock exam is to actually mock you, by the way. Oh, really? I don't know if you, uh, you might not have known that. No, so I anyway, um, yeah, so I kind of wanted to speak to you a little bit about Look Up. Because sure. uh, at the time, when I was writing it, it my life had kind of was a bit of a mess at the time. And I thought, okay, well, all these negative things have happened to me. I can either be really bitter and vindictive and horrible to everyone, or I can channel it into an act of creation and try and make something beautiful out of it. Mm. Which is the kind of um, something that's going around in my head a lot lately is, you know, the way that you choose to be gets kind of reflected back to you mm. in uh in the world you know so um at the time my kind of uh i kind of uh, got out of this bad relationship and um my family fell apart and kind of all this kind of dark stuff was happening but you know i kind of came up with this concept of of look up which is in the name really it's like well just kind of it's quite optimistic yeah exactly so it's like well if you for a second just tune out and pay attention to something different 
mm. then new avenues will be uh, available to you. Exactly, yeah. You know? So it's like, um, like I say, I could either be really angry about everything or I could turn it into something. So the two characters, Tom and Kathy, were the kind of, was a kind of reflection of my psyche at the time, mm. okay, uh, which is a little bit deep. Sorry. What, both of them? Yeah, both of them. Um, so Kathy was obviously uh, played by Pagan Hollis. Um, also, a bit of a sign that about Pagan Hollis. She's got a poem. That's a Bilbra. Has she? Yeah, it's on really? the wall. What, what's it about? Uh, I didn't read it. Oh, <laughs> wait, maybe. It was, it's, it's one of our historical figure, maybe like Jane Eyre, something like that. I mean, so if you're gonna write a poem about anyone, it's gonna be write a poem right. about. Yeah, well, that's it. I was literally walking past. I've got a really bit of a tangent already, but uh, I walked past uh, this little board near the stairway, and it said uh, like Jane Eyre by yeah. Pagan Hollis, Sheffield Harlem Uni. I don't know if you went there. And it changed your life forever. I mean, I didn't read it, so maybe. Yeah, you didn't read it. Not really. But, Ignorance um, kids. Yeah, but uh, she's, that up. she's a poet, apparently. Yeah. Award winning, she's award winning, maybe <laughs> the prestigious award. I don't know what being on the about, wall no. at Billborough. Um, what's the same? Um, uh, who's in it? Yeah, so Tom and Kathy, um, you know, Kathy was this kind of like free spirit, saw the poetry and everything, haha, yeah. and um, you know, saw the kind of beauty in everything around her, and um, you played mm. uh, quite well, quite. Uh, brilliantly, Thank in you. fact, uh, the character of Tom, who uh, I was too lazy to come up with a last name for. Mm. Should we come up with a last name for him now? Wallace. Tom Wallace. I don't know. Oh my Literally god! Just popped in my head. He sounds like a serial mascot. Maybe for like serial. Yeah. Cool. It just sounds like he's got a dead end job. Yeah. And he's going nowhere. And that's kind of what the character was doing. Well, no, it wasn't. Actually. No, sorry, no. <laughs> I tell a lie. <laughs> Basically, right. Tom was a kind of um, aspiring artist that was kind of dealing with um, self-doubt and um, kind of low mood, and um, he didn't really like believe in himself. Uh, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit close to home, because that was me at the time, you know. So it was like split between them two sides of me and then at the end you know when you kind of uh walk away into the sunset or whatnot even though the sun had already set yeah it was darkness on that freezing cold night in january oh my gosh um you know you kind of had this feeling of self-realization of okay all right well i believe in my in my talent and my abilities so i was at college doing something that i hated for people that I hated, mm. with people that I hated. Lovely. No offense to like all the people that I was at college with, but um, I hate you. No, I don't. I'm joking. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's like, in a way, I was trying to just reflect my kind of mood at the time, and um, you know, I believe creative expression to be the be all and end all of everything. Right. I believe, you know, and you'll know this, um with uh what what do you what do you do like creatively? Do you just do you act? Do you, you well you do act, um, but do you do you write? Do you It's a bit of a weird one. Because um, obviously yeah, I I act and that's obviously like a big thing mm. for me. Um 
but obviously with my because I do performing arts and yeah. uh, drama. I love drama. And I love all drama. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like so <laughs> for both A level drama and performing arts, we do devising. So that's obviously quite a bit of directing as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's loads of fun. Just and trying out new stuff, trying out new styles, trying out different yeah. things you never thought you tried before. And what do you get out of that on a personal level? Obviously, it's enjoyable. Well, mostly. Mm. Um, Except when you're pretending to be a chicken. Yeah, that's probably one of the low points. <laughs> um, but yeah, like when you're doing devising in particular, you know, it all depends on your group if you if you get along with them. Mm. Um, that's the thing about acting, though, is trust. You know, because yeah. you kind of, and it's just how well you you interact with other people. Acting is interesting because it's it's one of the only art forms that's, you know, within the body. You know, everything else is external, whether it's painting, you know, because you put something on a canvas, or whether it's music where you're producing these mm. musical notes. But yeah. but acting, you and you try and embody the spirit and the soul of of somebody else, and depending on the character, you know that can potentially take um, a massive toll on you. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously. Um, it's, well, yeah, like, for example, there are lots of actors who I've gone to do. Um, Heath Ledger, Jericho. There you go. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, I think. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, lots of people think acting is quite easy, but those people aren't good actors. <laughs> Um, yeah, because it, it is it's difficult because if you really want to uh, like convince people that you are someone else, you've got to fully commit to that character, mm. and that could be quite difficult at times. Um, or in some cases, if you relate really to the character, it can be quite easy. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying, but um, I just feel like with acting, I don't know with acting it's kind of you know some people some people can do it and some people can't is it thing? Um, yeah but it's not something that you for example if you can't it doesn't mean that you you can never that sounds uh, quite cringe but no that's that's like well, a really optimistic thing. well it is though like you get really you get some actors becoming actors really late on mm. Bill Nye prime example I think it was 40 when he first became on TV and so who Bill Nye, never heard of him. No, well, no. some of your audience, but <laughs> do I have an audience? <laughs> I don't know. Well, for example, Alan Rickman, he uh, was a graphic designer until he yeah. was twenty-five, okay, and then he uh, went to drama school. So, like, like I said, it's never too late, and if you're really committed to it, you can um, quite develop the skills pretty quickly mm. if you commit to it, though. Yeah. Well, commitment is something that really matters whenever you take a new thing on. Yeah. You know, for example, uh, this podcast is new. It's probably not going to be, you know, this episode probably isn't going to be as good as the one that comes in six months, you know. Mm. But I think it's about kind of engaging with it and kind of looking at yourself as, you know, it's all right to, to fail mm. at first, you know. Mm. As long as you concentrate and pay attention and steadily improve you know well yeah i think as a human race we easily get distracted maybe it's like the modern age and stuff but we do so iphone instagram well yeah stuff like that and we've got television we've got computers we've got video games we've got all sorts 
Um, I've got a social life to contend with. Yeah. So, do you think there's a state of um, overstimulation in the modern world? What do you mean? Uh, well, just what you just said. You know, the um, we have so much uh, media and so much um, kind of neurons firing. You know, maybe, maybe TV and video games and you know being on your phone. Try, uh, try going out without your phone, people. Or try, uh, try and go a day without using your phone. Like you can't do it. Yeah, it's difficult. You can't do it. It's like, it's like part of you. What's well, you know? an addiction, isn't it? Yeah. Compared to, um, compared to a couple of years ago, when it was just, you know, twenty years ago, mm. nothing like, you know, there's, um, there was something like. Uh, in the Stone Ages, the amount of uh, information that um, that the human race could kind of accumulate doubled every uh, thousand years or so. Mm. And gradually, through um, the Middle Ages and through uh, through kind of modern, into modern day, that process sped up. There's like every thousand years, then every 500 years, and then every hundred years. And now, when we get to modern day, because of the internet, because of the advent of this thing that is somehow autonomous and somehow kind of interlinked with who we are as people, you know, the rate of information that human rate accumulates doubles every two seconds. Wow. And that is across time. Yeah. yeah, well, like, like like loads of people have already said, it has improved us, but it's also regressed us because at the end of the day, people reading books has decreased. I've got no stats for that. Audio books, no? things like Audible. And yeah, I guess yeah, but that's the thing. It's um, it's totally changed, hasn't it? Like everything's changed from reading a book now. You can read it on your Kindle. You can yeah. listen to it, and I think lots of people's patience. And concentration levels have definitely dipped. Yeah, that's why um, you just get l- loads of less people, um, well, pursuing the things that they love and stuff like that because they're not focused, they're not, they don't concentrate, and that's n- that's not an absolute dish because it's the end of the day, it's the circumstances that they live in um, that generated this kind of, kind of generated that, that they can't do what they like, and uh, yeah, like. Yeah, I it's think a difficult one. Doing what you really want to do, like for example, I was in college, you know, like I say, I hated it, and <coughs> dropping out was a massive risk for me, mm. and it created this kind of rift in my family with my mom and my brother, and you know, <coughs> and I got really ill as well mentally for a while, but somewhere amongst all that, I came up with the idea for my truth. Which mm. is, you know, you're a part of it, man. You're in it. Yeah. You're in the belly of the beast. You know. There you go. This, is, this is my truth, ladies and gentlemen. But what <laughs> what my truth is going to be is it's basically going to be uh, part record label, part film company, part um, part clothing brand. And um, I think I want to do a load of things with it, but I think what I want to do eventually is create a platform for artists and creative people to basically <coughs> be able to make what they want to make um, and do what they want to do because you know 
if you if you go to like a big studio or whatever, then most of the time you'll get creative restrictions. You'll get so I just want to push things that are a little bit strange, a little bit weird, because that's the kind of thing that I'm into. Good, and um, kind of just push things forward as far as we can take them. You know, within reason. Like we're not gonna, you know, do anything dodgy with like <laughs> a zebra or, yeah. or whatever. Well, yeah, that's obviously the dream, isn't it? <laughs> and you're doing it so far. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, but I think it takes a certain amount of self-belief, you know. But that's it. Like, it's interesting because do you know how I just said earlier that, um, for example, the overstimulation has, in a way, regressed. And I was talking about how it's we're in a concentration, but also in a way, it has improved us substantially because at the end of the day you have more people than ever going to uni but you also have more people doing stuff like this doing podcasts mm. doing creative stuff like you can literally go to a theatre and see 10 different styles of theatre there it's not one traditional thing like it would have been 50 years ago for example mm. so it, yeah like I said so the variety the, there's a, yeah there's a variety of different mediums now for example we have podcasts which is still a relatively new concept to be honest mm. Um. But yeah, I think we're much more inclined to experiment more. And I think that's, yeah, because um, especially with theatre and stuff, we're much more globalised in a what way. What can you tell me about experimental theatre? Like what kind of ooh. things do you learn in, in ooh, class ooh, ooh. there? Well, because, sorry, can I just um tell you about this point? I was thinking, this is something that keeps coming up, um is, you know, if you're in some kind of educational um, environment and you've got something like maths or you've got something like science mm. or you've got something um, something, that, something that's a system, mm. then that thing is regimented. It's, you know, maths is, um, you know, one, two, three, four. You know, it's like... Um, Just as simple as that. I mean. It's a structure, you know. But if yeah. you take something creative, whether it be creative writing, whether it be, you know, which I believe is to be like equally as valid, you know, if not more so, mm. you know, creative, like I said, creative expression is the be all and end all of everything, you know. Mm. Uh, and you could take that back to even the Big Bang. Yeah. It's something from nothing, you know. If you get a thought, that thought doesn't, it just appears, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's a rabbit out of a hat. It's magic. Mm. Um,. So what was what's this? I keep going. What I was gonna say. What was I gonna say? Uh, experimental. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I lost stuff. it. I lost it, man. It's fine. Amazing. Pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> Pick it up. It's a beauty. Yeah, yeah. So um, hang on. I'm, I'm, ne- I'm nearly there. Like the cogs in I'm my brain right. are turning. Let you um, travel back to that place. Yeah, I'm trying to get back in that zone. Mm. So if you take something like uh, science or if you take something like maths, that is a structure. If you take something that's creative, whether it be creative writing there you go. Or, uh, <laughs> or, um, or kind of, uh, um, I've lost it again. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, if you take something like, um, or music or whatever it, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're passionate about sure. and, you know, whatever it is that, whatever medium you use to express the kind of mm. infinite bottomless well of imagination yeah. that every human being has. And, uh, you know, and some people don't access, unfortunately. Sad, you know? yeah. Because uh, I think art has limitless potential in a yeah. way. You can do whatever you want, to be honest. Exactly. 
So what I was going to say was, um, and it's kind of long-winded, I got to it eventually, was you can't measure creative work in the same way that you could measure science on maths. No. Because if you and I get told to write a short story, you know, the results are going to be completely different. Mm. We're going to have different different kind of styles, different kind of... Different well, reference points, it, yeah. Reference points, um, whatever it is. So I'm just curious from your position of being in a kind of educational environment where they teach you, but they also judge you and they also grade you. And yeah. Um, well, I do history as well. Well done. And uh, I love it. But like I said, it's very regimental. Yeah. Um, the facts are the facts, and that's fine because I do balance it out with the arts. And I think you w- it's good to have subjects like that, for mm. example, history, maths, and science. Yeah. But I think it's always good to have a bit of an arts, arty thing as well because that is really is uh, the ability to really express yourself. And especially at college, we are given quite a lot of liberty to create whatever we want. Mm. And that's really nice. We also take into different um, theatres and shown different kind of plays w- from different styles, different countries. Yeah, countries. tell me a little bit about that. So when when you get like a new assignment or whatever, and you can just uh, create whatever you want, what kind of things do you come up with? Well, this is interesting because that's what we're doing now. Mm. But in both my B-Tech, performing arts and my drama, we're devising and we've basically just been given one stimulus um, just as one little thing and then we can do whatever we want with it amazing uh, yeah it is amazing until you realise you've got eight or seven other people in your group that you've got to balance out their ideas mm. and create a 40 minute piece so yeah it's quite stressful but you get like an absolute range of ideas like I prefer which is weird because I wouldn't have said this a year ago I prefer stuff that's weird abstract mm. and is quite I don't know, quite surreal. And that's what I kind of go for. While other people in my group are more traditional, which is fine. But that's the thing. You have a right mix of people in there with different kind of pre- preferences and stuff like that. I think Look Up was kind of like that as well. It was kind of mi- a mixture of both. Because mm. it was, it kind of had this kind of... I had someone compare it to like um, them uh, French movies that kind of don't really have any kind of uh, a narrative to speak of. But... It deals a lot with um, symbolism <laughs> and uh, stream of consciousness. Yeah. And, um, you know, so there's a bit in Look Up where, um, and this actually happened to me, it was, um, there's a bit in Look Up where uh, Kathy's kind of, uh, no, Tom's kind of walking home and um, there's this burial song playing and he walks home and uh, he sees this girl and do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do, yeah. And um, he kind of turns around and the girl kind of stops and goes to turn it in. And then Tom turns around again and she's not there. Which actually happened to me um, at some point last year where I was kind of walking home and there was a girl kind of about school age with a backpack um, walking past me and I kind of couldn't see her face because of the shadows but it looked a little bit weird and a little bit chirpy and a little mm. bit spooky so I turned around and she's still walking I stop I turn around again and she's gone and that you know I think it's weird how fiction the line between fiction and reality uh, you know 
can blur sometimes, you know, and they kind of take cues from one another. Mm. For example, that, um, you know, another example would be if you, if you do write uh, consistently, then you'll find kind of weird, odd coincidences yeah. start happening mm. um, in your just day-to-day life. And some people, some people can get lost in that idea, which I think I did for a long time. Mm. Uh, this year especially was I got obsessed with the idea of, with that idea, with um, <laughs> which is weird because it's like, well, you know, you're off doing doing college and you're off, you know, kind of going to parties or whatever, and you know, uh, doing your thing. But meanwhile, I'm struggling with like the fabric of reality and like trying to like having an existential crisis. Yeah, at yeah. 18. <laughs> My whole life is an existential crisis, man. My whole life. It's like, um, yeah. So, give me an example of um, of the kind of ideas that you're coming up with. Well, uh, hmm. So like, uh, whilst I've been at college, I have been exposed to loads of different styles. Um, mainly, mainly European. Because y- if you look at European theatre and European films in general and European art, very surreal. Mm. Very, very different than our British way of doing it. What, even now? Or are you talking about uh, kind um, of... I guess now we are... We are starting to almost catch up, but I don't even say that's probably in the last ten years. Like I'd, I'd say in particular, like for example, the one the people that we're studying in particular, this guy called Otto, this guy called Brecht, and they're all around in like the twenties to seventies. There is one British guy that we look at called Burkhoff, and he's still around now, and he's he. I think he really kicks out that movement in Britain, that yeah. kind of weird you can be weird you can be surreal um and that's okay for so a purpose though not just for oh yeah surreal yeah sake. um for example brecht in particular i i love and i always would put his stuff in why do you love him uh he's very political but he's also really like his um his style's really really weird as in like he's uh it's very much like you know you're watching a play yeah. so he'll have placards he'll have total juxtaposition for example, a device piece that I'm creating right now, we have a bit where a World War One soldier is having a PTSD attack. Mm. And one person, one other person on stage, holds up a placard which says, laughter. And the audience will laugh. Oh my God. So that's what we're kind of try, try, trying to create, this weird, surreal thing where the audience are laughing at this man having an attack. Wow. Yeah. I think like um, Black Mirror. Oh, I guess, like yeah. Kind of stuff as well. But like I said, yeah, I think Britain in particular, I wouldn't say catching up because that's, that's really like quite a pretentious turn and a bit like... Catching up to what, the Europeans? Yeah, but I think catching up because we have been doing our own thing. That's absolutely fine. So I don't really think catching up. I think just experimenting more, mm. really, with different styles. <laughs> I was talking to this... Um, I was talking about this with a woman called Alma who uh, I met on Tuesday. Uh, and I'd like to get her on the podcast as well. She uh, works at City Arts mm. uh, in Hartley. And I was talking to her about the kind of state of art in the 21st century. Because mm. if you look at uh, the 20th century, you've got, you know, um, you know, name it. You've got kind of the advent of, uh, of um, you know, the First and Second World Wars and the kind of existential kind of, uh, you know, 
bomb that went off mm. where it kind of, all of a sudden we've got a hydrogen bomb and we're kind of playing God or whatever, mm. you know, and all of a sudden, you know, we are the thing that we fear, mm. you know, we are the thing that we're terrified of, you know, we are the monster in the dark because, and all of a sudden, you know, before that it was probably kind of, um, nature and uh, the kind of structure of reality as it is you know and just human malevolence in general but you know if you take something like an earthquake which is just a natural catastrophe and you know it causes pain and misery everywhere it goes but and then you take the hydrogen one mm. you know and then you look at even what we're doing now hellfire missiles yeah right? even like the audacity of calling something a hellfire missile, mm. you know, and you think you're playing a video game, mm. you think you're in some kind of virtual reality, exactly. you're detached from, and I think this goes back to the phone thing as well. We're not in the world as we should be, we're not out foraging for berries, we're not wondering like when you know we're gonna get eaten by a lion or whatever. But to like, it's but to like combat that almost, I do think we're almost, I think we're in like the golden age of the art personally i think personally if you look at all the stuff that's coming out with postmodernism and just how we're looking back and drawing styles from our 2000 3000 year old history yeah i think postmodernism's um kind of parody paradigm itself mm. at the minute cuz you know when when postmodernism first came out um with the whole uh what's the thing with the pipe this is not a pipe what's the yeah, there's like a painting. Of, I can't yeah. remember who did it, but <laughs> it's kind of um. I don't know. I don't know because I think kind of the new millennium came in with the 2000, which was when we were born, right? And then you look at some, and then you kind of look at the 80s and the fall of the Berlin Wall. This is just something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. So you kind of got the fall of the Berlin Wall, and then you've got the nineties with kind of kind of youth culture that was kind of reminiscent of uh, the sixties with the kind of comparison mm. between like Oasis and the Beatles and Britpop and you know all that. And then the two thousands happened, and it was YGK and then nine eleven, and I think nine eleven kind of set this kind of sinister, caustic. Oh, no, I totally agree. Time saying it's for ages. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that since 9-11, the world's never been really been the same, has it? No. Because uh, I think maybe from, almost there was like this phase, wasn't there? From World War Two till 2001, where everything was almost building to a point. And I think so. Yeah. That's I fascinating. Because, for example, you had the whole Cold War stuff going on, and everything was taking ideas from each other. Everything was happening. Everything was almost building. The technology was advancing slowly, mm. but it was taking stuff... Like from p previous decades, the clothing was changing. Everything had, an, uh, like the decades, had an identifiable culture almost. Whilst you have suddenly the fall of the Soviet Union, the fall of everything happening in the 90s, and yet still that innocence is kind of preserved. But then 2001 happens, and the innocence of the world's almost is broken. We have the war on terror. We have, and I think that's it. I think there was so much innocence that we didn't know. We didn't know what was really going really? on. In a sense, when you know, however many millions of people died in the Second World War. No, I don't mean. I mean, how do you mean innocence? I mean innocence in a fact that we're all we're almost kind of oblivious to the threat of like nuclear weapons and stuff. We didn't 
we didn't really know what was going on in other parts of the world. We didn't have almost that kind of reach. These days, we had, we know what was going on. We have this almost revisionism on history mm. now where we look back and we think, oh, yeah, maybe Gandhi wasn't so good. Maybe stuff wasn't so good. Maybe, and that's the thing. Suddenly, our innocence was kind of broken with 9-11. And maybe it was always building to a point and 9-11 was almost just a catalyst. But then, for example, from that point forward, it's totally changed. And I know that's weird because obviously I was born in 2000, so I've never known anything other. Yeah, same. But it's just when you talk to people who lived through these times, and then they, they even say, it's just weird because it's almost the 2000s to the 2010s. They don't really have, maybe I'm wrong, we don't really have a culture, an identifiable culture almost. Exactly, it's and that's what I was talking to Alma about, was this kind of sense of there isn't necessarily some kind of concrete, solid thing to attach yourself to anymore. Mm. You know, and the world's always been kind of, um, you know, people like to think that people are in control, whether it be Donald Trump or Theresa May or, you know, whatever, take your pick of a world leader. They're human too. And they don't have a clue what they They, you know, have the same thoughts that you do when you're alone at night. You know. It's like when a parent, they don't, they don't know what they do when they yeah. first get a child. You think they do, but they don't. <laughs> so what happened when I was experiencing my mental health problems was this kind of sense of looming catastrophe mm. at all times, um, which I think kind of goes back to what you were saying. And as well, it kind of speaks to the hypersensitivity of modern times. You know, I'm offended you know um i want to voice my opinion about every little thing because you know it's it, it is in a way it's kind of a double-edged sword because yeah you want to express yourself yeah you want to speak about what's going on in the world but you know when you look at um what's kind of going on today you know and you want to complain about if you if you look at like syria or if you look at, you know, the the thousands of millions of people that are just refugees and have all nowhere to go and you know and you're complaining about somebody that said some that a microaggression, <laughs> like yeah. you know, that it's mental. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. You know. Um I just think that and this you know, what I was talking to Alma about was the kind of sense of a lack of direction, for one. A kind of lack of um, a kind of clear vision, especially with the whole like Brexit thing now. But that's like, nobody's got a clue what's going on. I just think, in general, millennials um, have almost a bit of an identity crisis. We don't really know where we fit in. No. We, we've got all these different kind of cultures and all these things from different decades we have like generation x and all of this kind of stuff where they've got all the they they have oh do you remember do you remember this do you remember the 80s do you remember this and you're like we didn't we don't really have that because we've we've almost asked even like what we wear is taken from previous decades we don't really mm. have a distinct culture and that's why people struggle to find an identity these days and that's why loads of people find solace in old almost well just like ideologies and all sorts because they don't know where they fit in the world like what what kind of ideologies um, are you talking about oh 
let's think it like for example you've got things in america with the far right but that that's always that's always going up but even in um what's it called britain we have this stuff with people drifting to the right with brexit you have people in america drifting to the right with trump it's because they don't really know like where they fit they think they almost think they are the forgotten people and although this is n- doesn't really apply well, to they them, are exactly but does that scare you um i guess yeah because i don't know where we're going for example with previous decades at least well i say this they probably didn't but what i'm saying is it's we because of the age of technology that we're living in we don't really know where we're going and because of the drift to the right now i i just i have no idea of what's going to happen in 10 years I've, the world will look totally different in 10 years um but then but then again like i'm saying if you look at 1969 and 1979 or 1979 to 1989 a lot happened in those 10 years mm. for example right here we're kind of just petering along with new technological advance that's all we measure our history on now is technological advancement and yeah. our own kind of personal oh yeah development too like you are just you know if you're in a nine to five job then you are just a, st- uh, a statistic mm. you are just a number on a computer screen you know and i think that is something that is the most terrifying thing that's happened you know in kind of recent years is the kind of dehumanization of you know we live in apartment buildings with uh, hundreds of people but we don't talk to anyone mm. you know you walk down the street in a town that you know you've lived in your whole life and you don't know anyone well yeah we've lost that sense of community haven't you we? know and you're looking around and maybe that's why people go back to the the kind of old kind of glories of the past is because you're looking for something and familiar. I don't blame them to be honest because so much has happened where people we're not given our direction we're not given this is this is it this is what you sh- this is well this is it this is what um is right and stuff like that we're not given any of this and the thing is even when we are told that it's not backed up by anything we're told that all oh, Brexit Brexit's right Brexit's this Brexit's that but then we've had all this chaos with it. People don't people don't trust the politician. People don't trust people who tell them what to do. So they find solace in people like Tommy Robinson and people like that who promise real change. Donald Trump promised change. Hillary Clinton promised the same. People won't change. People don't. The thing want. is with Hillary Clinton is she was the worst possible candidate ever mm. of all time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and people were saying like she was like the lesser of two evils or whatever, like. Her whole strategy was, okay, I'm repulsive and horrible. Mm. Let's find someone that's even more repulsive and horrible. Mm. And then it turns out that his, like, Trump's kind of brand of honesty, you know, you mm. say what you want about him, he, he says what he thinks. Well, that's the thing, you know, like... Rather than this whole kind of thing of, you know, this kind of... Um elitism this kind of elitist kind of shroud of um just lies and bigotry and you know people caught onto that and people have been disillusioned with that for <coughs> for decades man for mm. decades you know and i think now we're seeing we are seeing 
a shift in consciousness. We are seeing a shift in. I think it always happens, though. I think it is a kind of a trend that people need to, uh, that people have noticed and will always like kind of notice. And that's always that. There's always a shift to the right in like 20 years in America, in particular. You had the rise of Eisenhower. You had the rise of Reagan. Now you've got the rise of Trump. Yeah. It's all people who say, you know what, the Democrats aren't doing anything. We promise change. Here's it on a plate. This is what we'll do. Do you think Vote it's? Uh, me, do you think it's? Um, <coughs> do you think it's sick? Uh, cyclical. Yeah. Um, because something that kind of uh, bothers me is the inability of mankind to learn from its mistakes. Mm. You know, big one. That. Is the, you know, we do the same things day after day, even in our own personal lives. And I think that yeah. was me with college was. Okay, well, I've been told this thing of, all right, well, you remember me in school, man. I was a little hellraiser. I was, I, I was, you know, diabolical because I couldn't operate in that environment of somebody telling me what to do, how to think, how to behave. Yeah. And, like, I do history. As you say. So, yeah, I, I, I learn, obviously, a lot about the past, weirdly. Um, <laughs> And so it frustrates me when you see people who don't learn from the past because you just think the the past is there. Why don't you just look, for example, and see what went wrong, and why can't you just address that and imp- like it's it's so annoying because it's painful because it's scary because it's because people always desire power and people will always vote for people who promise change. It's the same with Trump. It's why do you why do you think people want power? Why do you think people? Because if I if I think about being a prime minister, just putting myself in, you know, being empathetic towards them, which is something that, you know, seldom gets done, feeling empathy for a politician, you know. Mm. But putting yourself in that position of being in charge of a country, being in charge of the millions of people within that country and that country's relationship to the, we- to the rest of the world, you know, Western and... Um, What's the other one? Eastern. Yeah. Um, Good one. You know, if I put myself in a position of a Theresa May or a Donald Trump, they get so much hate mm. at, at all times. Yeah. You know, uh, from m- millions of people. I think one of the main things for power is just a desire to be well known, a desire to be famous, a desire for people to remember you, a desire to almost your life to actually mean something. So the fact, for example, with lots of people, it is. I want to be. I want to be this. I want to be this because I want a legacy. I want. There's uh, there's something in the Bible about um, worshiping false idols, and I think that what exactly what you just said is a false idol in a way, mm. because you want power, you want uh, you want prestige, you want you want to uh, kind of establish your name. I mean, Trump like putting his name on building like it's childish. In a way, it's like, look at me, look at me. But, like, if you... It's the wrong attitude to take because, you know, the meaning that you find in your life every day doesn't come from adoration from millions of people. It comes from your relationships with your friends, with your family, with who you are as a human being on an individual level. I think that real change comes from within. I think real change comes from recognizing the things within yourself that are um, that are worthwhile, and because uh, I, 
struggled with um, insecurity for so long. I, I, you know, I hated my. I thought I was unattractive, and I thought I was stupid, and I thought I was worthless. And you know, it's that same thing going back to the beginning of you know, look up. You know, recognize that you are not your mistakes. You are not the things that you know. You are not that time that. Yeah, you said that stupid thing, or you were not that time that you did that stupid thing to that person. You know, that links into power too, because it's almost a a way of proving yourself. Hey, look, this is what I can do. Loads of people said I couldn't. This is what I could do. This is what I could achieve. This is, for example, I've ever. Um, oh, who is it? Who's there's there's loads of people actually. The more I think about it, the more I think about it, there's loads of people. Most people that you hear. Um, talk about in their lives. They're always like, "Oh, my mum said I couldn't do this. My dad said it was never possible." My da 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 da. Mm. And so I guess it is just a desire to prove yourself in a way, prove to you and to loads of people that yeah, I could have done this. I can do this. This is achievable for me. Look what I've done. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, it is. It is. It is so deep. You know, it kind of. Mm. Yeah, I think <laughs> <laughs> I think there are um, things that we're like the center of the earth with deepness right now. Yeah, we? yeah. <laughs> I think that. Um, well, what do you what do you think is the alternative to that? Because we've been pri- quite pessimistic for the last kind of half hour. Yeah. You know, what do you think is the way that we can kind of um, redeem ourselves, not only on a personal level but a kind of political level and a spiritual level? That's a tough question. Because uh, well, I feel like there's, um, especially like people our age, you know, 18, 19, 20, they're kind of full, filled with optimism and they kind of want to make the world a better place. And you see, like, I've got friends that are really into uh, activism and protesting. And you see that in both Britain and America with the whole, you know, with, in a kind of uh, hilarious and idiotic way with the whole Trump balloon this summer. And, you know, um, which, while well intentioned, was a bit silly. <laughs> there we go. Um, he's he's done you there, guys. Um, so basically, yeah. So basically, I just wait. What was the question again? <laughs> I don't know. It's something about spiritual, right? Yeah. How, how can, can we, we even? We've been quite pessimistic for the last half hour. Yeah. How can we kind of redeem ourselves on a political, spiritual, oh. mental mm. level? Well, I say do what you do. I say don't let other people telling you that your opinion is wrong influence how you feel i don't think if someone's telling you you can't do something because you're this you're we're living in a world where you can do whatever you want now if you want to do exactly. something you do, yeah. you do what you do, do what you do and if you want to vote for something your mates don't want, like fervently disagree with vote for that person if you fervently believe in that something that doesn't mean close off a debate if you want to talk if you want to debate with someone and for example you actually realize that you don't actually like those views or you mm. like that but i think just being allowed to think what you think that's absolutely fine do you think we're coming to the end of the cycle of individualism do you think that we're kind of moving towards a more collective attitude i hope not why why do you say that because i think um i think an individual is important i think if i think if we just put people in this one box almost of and everyone is i don't know i think like I don't know. I just don't like the. F- I, f- I like people being unique, and I like people doing what they want to do. I don't. 
I don't like this collective attitude. I don't like a globalization. I don't like globalization for that same reason. I love countries being able to have this culture, this, this, um, yeah, this national identity. Because if, for example, we we do become globalized, which was probably inevitable. Um, I hope. It do you reckon we'll get to that point where it's just? Um, I reckon the EU is going to fall pretty soon, but and maybe that will slow it down. But I I do feel that. Like if we do get to that stage, if we do get to that stage, that um, I don't know. I feel like if it's not, I I love going to different countries, experiment. Like Where have you been lately? Because I've never been abroad before. I've been to like Wales. Where have I been? I have been to. I love Paris. Paris is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I go to Spain quite regularly. You are an artsy kid, aren't you? All right. <laughs> I just, I Paris. Know. We'll always have Paris for even. Yeah, I'm like that. Ugh. I'm like pretentious without being prete- without trying to be pretentious. It's like that. Nah, own it, man. <laughs> if you're calling yourself pretentious, then just be pretentious. Um, no, but yeah, Spain's lovely. Greece is a fantastic place. But that's it. If we do become globalized, then like, what's the point in going to different places? If we're all going to live in this one, if for example, different cultures are all living under one roof, then what's the point of going to different places? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't understand this call for everyone to be under one roof why I can't I, alright I can the fact that everyone wants a human race to just be this one thing no nationality yeah so I mean going like back that. to our friend John Lennon and that you know yeah. one love one yeah I don't like that no maybe yeah but that's it that's just my opinion loads of people probably disagree with that but that's it I, d- I don't like this fact of having this one unified place because I think that everyone sh- I don't know I think like everyone should have a culture i think everyone should be able to just express themselves within that and i think if you do become globalized then like you said the individual's lost mm. I, I do believe that and you believe the individual is something that is sacred and it's something that should be protected. yeah i'm not i'm not your, your average communist i'm a, well, i'm not a communist at all um i'm not I'm what not do you think um sorry to interrupt you but where do you think communism gets it wrong because it does get it wrong but why do you think because I've got my own opinions on it, but um, well, I think the I just because there has been instances where it showed glimmers of hope, hasn't it? Mm. Um, but I think but also you know, sixty million people died on Stalin, you know, if not more, and a hundred million under Mao. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I I think one problem is believing that it's almost. Like I say, it's just the destruction of the individual almost. People being farmers in Mao's regime, and then they're told, no, you're not You're not farming. You're becoming a factory worker now. It's like going, well, this is what I want to do. Mm. This is actually what I want to do. And that's the problem. So really, it's about freedom. Exactly. That's the thing. <laughs> it kind of goes against communism in a way. Because I don't, I don't think that um, telling people what to do, I think people should just be like, in a communist society... Well, for example, one big thing for a communist society is what it was meant to be was a commune of people leading the country, not one guy leading it. Which works, you know, there's that line in Look Up as well of um, of a couple of people being on an island, you know, and everyone, you know, and that whole thing of if the only thing that you can come up with is a poem that'll eat you alive, you know. Mm. Because if you're on an island with four other people and you distribute the kind of workloads... You know, because that's what you have to do to survive. Mm. But if we live, 
<laughs> if we live in a in a society with the amount of people that we do, with the amount of diversity and which is a beautiful thing, which is an amazing um Sorry, people. I'm just being like gestured to from outside the window. Um, I'm very sorry for that. What was I saying? Again, something about communism. Yeah, something. Communism is bad, kids. Don't do it. It's not a good idea. Brilliant. <laughs> just sum that one up completely. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell that I'm a professional philosopher, can't you? Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. That. That is. That's. Yeah. But like. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. You know what? We're kind of coming up to an hour now, um, so I think we're going to call it a day. Uh, this has been the Mad Truth podcast. Mad Truth. Mad Truth. I'm excited. People, exciting things are coming. Just uh, give me some time to kind of. Uh, I might come back for the uh, 1000 podcast. Yeah, kind of. I'd time. love to have you on again, man, because it's been fascinating, and I think that. Um, Got deeper than I thought it would. Yeah. What, <laughs> what were you expecting? It's a casual chat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is... I think the reason why I wanted to start this was... And I was telling you about this earlier off air was... Um, I was going to kind of start writing a journal of um, of my kind of... Because like I say, I've been thinking about this stuff like constantly for like the last... However many years, you know. But it kind of gets to a point where, all right, well, I want to track my kind of... Um, development um, you know um intellectually and spiritually and kind of um you know i think that life is a constant state of transience it's evolution you know it's um cause and effect you know you you kind of start somewhere and end up somewhere else so uh before we end uh this is an idea for a segment that i had was i'd like you to just uh say a record or an album that you've been listening to lately uh that you old or new that is really uh, that you love and you feel that people should go and listen to. Uh, Hot Fuss by the Killers. Hot Fuss by the Killers. That is a banger of an album, you know. I'm gonna go with uh, Massive Attack, Blue Lines, because of uh, the kind of blend between uh, hip hop and R and B, and the production is amazing, Very and nice. the bars are sick. And uh, even though it came out in like 1991, which goes back to that thing of uh, liking stuff that's old. Uh, it's amazing, and I think everyone should go and listen to it. Ruben Gotts, thank you very much for uh, being on the Mad Truth podcast. No um, problem. Thank you for having me. Peace out.